1: Before we start, I think it is important to answer the question: Why should we discuss postmodernism? Because I've been met a couple of times with comrades uh, uh, and, and and you know contacts, and so I'm going to say, why why is there any need of discussing postmodernism? This was a this was a buzzword in the 80s and the 90s. You had names such as Le and Baudrillard, Deleuze and Guattari, uh, Derrida. These were big names, and uh, and they're not really anymore. Not many people actually discuss these things, not even in, in academia, although there is still some of it. And even someone like Foucault, who was probably the most enduring name of these people, he's kind of lost a lot of his rock star uh, status. But in my opinion, it's kind of like the coronavirus, where you have a, a general this disease, which is postmodernism. The original strain is kind of died out. But it's really mutated into a vast variety of different ideas and trends and schools of thought throughout academia. You know, we have queer theory, intersectionality, post colonialism, modern type of feminism, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, um, identity politics. All of these are based on postmodernism, and probably a few more that I don't even uh, know of. And, but, but, and, and still, this goes even deeper, I would say. Throughout the social sciences, in uh, the study of history, and even, as we heard before, in the natural sciences, and of course, throughout politics today, really, we see many, many, many ideas and so-called theories, which are all based around the same basic worldview of the original godfathers of of postmodernism. Now, back then, uh, these people, they were originally kind of uh, on the periphery of academia, Kind of outsiders, you can say, within academia. But today, really, postmodernism is probably the, or if not, at least one of the main ideologies of the established order of capitalism. And the, the ideas that they put forward might sound very radical and progressive, but in reality, behind all of this confused and convoluted language, what you have is the most reactionary and counter revolutionary ideas. And as Marxism, as Marxists, it's very important that we understand this and we understand that we cannot give any concessions to, to these ideas. On the contrary, it's our duty to go on to the offensive. and We need to demolish them and expose their reactionary nature uh, in, in front of all the, the, the workers and the youth that they try to influence. Now, uh, the first question you might ask, which is quite a difficult one, is what is postmodernism? And you really look when you try to, you know, you get a book on postmodernism, and you look. It, there's you. You never get a straight answer for anything, let alone this this very simple question. Because what we're often told is, oh no, this is a this. You cannot define it because it's indefinable per definition, right? Um, you can't explain it because it is opposed to explanations. And according to Jean-François Lyotard, who was the person who, who coined the term. He says, um, he defined the, uh, the uh, postmodernism as incredulity towards meta narratives. Now, what the hell does that mean? In, in plain English, it means the rejection of a comprehensive worldview. And you might think, wow, that's, uh, that's very profound. You know, I've never thought about this. But you see, um, they, these people are not simplistic like us. Uh, they say that it's impossible to have a single worldview, but if you're like me, you know, quite uh, stupid probably, or, or if you're a child of six, you might scratch your head, head and be like, "Hold on a minute, isn't that a meta narrative itself? Isn't that a comprehensive worldview explained in in, in four or five uh, words?" The only mm-hmm. difference you see is that postmodernists reject all other meta narratives than their own, and <laughs> this is. This is really the the, the crux of it. And most importantly, what they reject is Marxism. But but, but we'll get back to this point. Another element which is often connected with postmodernism is this rejection of the notion of progress. Uh, Michel Foucault uh, said that we have to, this is a quote, free historical chronologies and successive orderings from all forms of progressivist perspective. Ie, again, translation that progress is a figment of our imagination. We uh, put this notion of progress on uh, uh, history when we when we study it. The development of science, of philosophy, uh, there's no progress in it at all throughout history, but only different ways of interpreting the world. And furthermore, this world that that all these different people have tried to interpret. Um, does not even correspond to our interpretations of them this is just <laughs> our basically as as we talked about before on the question of subjective idealism is our subjective notions that we impose onto the world and yet you see this is the thing they say there's no progress uh, in history or in the history of ideas and yet Foucault and, and all these other people they they place the rise of their school as the only one who can who could explain this right so I hope you're not (laughs) confused, but basically what they're saying is there's no progress in history or in the history of ideas. All ideas are as good as any other one, whether it's it's the ideas of a caveman or Aristotle or Hegel or Marx. None of these were a step forward for humanity or humanity's understanding of of nature and society until postmodernism came about and exposed this whole sham Of belief in progress so nothing is progressive in other words except postmodernism and you might think this is really a joke uh, because (laughs) because it's, it's really childish but this is actually the type of contradictions that the postmodernism postmodernists tie themselves up in at every single turn but the most fundamental notion underpinning all of this is what we discussed in the previous session which is subjective idealism. It's the idea that there's no objective reality independent of human consciousness. Now, Derrida, one of, one of the post, uh, post, postmodernists, for instance, he's, he's famous for having said that there is no outside the text. What does that mean? It basically says that uh, meaning, i.e. knowledge, is not, reali- is not related to reality, but only to itself. If, if we have a word, that we use according to him is not related to any particular thing that we're trying to refer to uh, but it's it's only defined by its relationship to other words and ideas so if i want to understand something first i need to understand all the words that give this word a context and so on if i want to understand human i need to understand arms legs biped you know (laughs) these, these kind of things and then i understand human is not actually related to any human being in in, in the objective, in the external uh, world. We might have a a word for a dog or a cat, but according to Derrida, these things are merely basically creations of, uh, uh, you know, these concepts are creations of the human mind, and they don't really correspond to any real dog or cat. Um, And on this basis, in fact, Derrida goes on to reject the question of concepts altogether, of generalizations altogether, insofar as, uh, in particular, that they uh, correspond to anything objective, to an objective phenomenon. Uh, According to him, all concepts are subjective. uh, And in fact, he goes even further, he says concepts, let's say lawfulness and nature, causality, identity, and any other form of generalization that we might have are in fact oppressive. That because they don't have anything to do with reality, what, what the real function is, is to f- like put a straitjacket over, over the mind of, of, of human beings. And therefore, according to these people, freedom, uh, according to, to De- Derrida, he calls it deconstruction. So freedom consists in deconstructing these concepts by changing our language, by using rhetorical tricks, uh, in order to liberate ourselves, basically. And this is presented as something really deep and, and, and thoughtful. Yeah, but in reality, this is an extremely uh, simplistic and one-sided understanding of, of human knowledge. If our concepts do not reflect in any shape or form some objective truth that, that Derrida uh, claims, and if meaning cannot be gen- can be just generated and deconstructed uh, at any human being, you know, individual whim, then how can we communicate? You know, why, why does Derrida bother writing texts when there's no objective or kind of a common basis for our language and our concepts? How can we even acknowledge that we're all experiencing the same reality if we're chronically kind of barred from accessing this said this reality? Now, what, we, the, what these people would tell us that, oh, these are just, these are two simplistic questions. So we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't really ask them. But it just really goes to show to the extremely flippant attitude that these people have. Language in reality, you know, they mystify language and discourse and, and, and all of these things. But language is a product of the development of human beings. In particular, it's, you, you know, it's been proven many times that it's directly related to advanced and complex collaboration i.e. in in the production of, of in, in labor for the production and reproduction of life human beings collaborate with each other and in order to do so they need to generalize certain features or how do you say discover certain general features of nature so they can con- communicate these things with each other and, and collaborate um, but obviously these people do not go anywhere anywhere near this now, uh, Foucault is often, as a as a postmodern, is taken as being more serious than 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 other postmodernists because when you write his uh, text, you see that there's heaps and heaps of of facts. Of course, they are they are, most of them are completely irrelevant. A lot of them are made up or completely distorted and taken out of out of context. But nevertheless, this fact that he has this extremely, you know, these volumniated books of random facts with endless caveats and, and, and so on. This gives it like a quasi-scientific appearance. But uh, as I think we're going to see, his ideas are qualitatively the same as the other postmodernists. Foucault criticized Derrida because he said, well, you're not allowing for a common point of reference for humanity, what we just uh, uh, criticized him for but instead of drawing the logical conclusion that uh, in order that acknowledging such a point of reference exists in objective reality but instead of doing that he remained in the sphere of subjectivism instead of saying no our common point of reference is the objective world he says no uh, it, it is still uh, the point of reference is in the subjective mind according to him man and this is a quote, he says, is the foundation of all positivities and present in the element of empirical things. Said in a normal language, it means that it is not the material world, uh, i.e. the element of empirical things that, that form the basis of our knowledge, but it is our viewpoint that is the basis for what we know as the material and external world. In other words, the mind is primary, it's a primary element and reality is its product. But in order to overcome this problem of of, of Derrida, of humanity not having a a common point of reference, Foucault introduces a new concept, which he calls the historical a priori. This is something that I think Thomas talked about before. Kant had these a priori implanted concepts into the human mind that allowed us to kind of reach truth in, in in a certain way. Well, Foucault has what he calls the historical a priori, or what he calls Epistemies, which is just a fancy way of saying general court culture or discourse of any given historical period. What he says is that our reality, the, the way that we view reality, is determined by these ideas which are implemented, inserted into our minds, basically, by general culture and discourse in any given uh, uh, epoch. But then the question is, where does this culture come from? Well according to Foucault, it comes from something he calls power. And this power in turn, is based on knowledge and on the on the human relations which produce knowledge. In other words, I know this is, <laughs> this might this might sound complicated, but it's really not. Power is created in the human minds and in particular in the minds of scientists, philosophers, cultural influencers, and so-called thinkers, such as uh, Foucault himself. So to sum up, in case you lost the thread, this is this is how, how he his his train of thought is. Reality is created by men and their thoughts, which are created by epistemies or culture, which is maintained by power, which is made by knowledge, which are the ideas created in the minds of men. And there you have it. This is the, <laughs> that's that's subjective idealism for you. There, it's our ideas which create uh, objective reality. Now. Foucault is a really a, a slippery eel. You, you'd read him every single book. He just introduces new concepts and new things, uh, new caveats. And he basically moves the goalpost at every single turn. But, the, but fundamentally he maintains that reality is created by the mind. And therefore his work is nothing but the most elaborate case for, for, for subjective idealism. According to him, thoughts do not uh, reflect objective reality. There's no such thing as truth or, or, or truth or falsity. And one of the ways that we can see this, according to Foucault, is by doing drugs, basically. And this is not a joke. I mean, this, this is a quote he, where, where, where he says, we can easily see how LSD inverts the relationship of ill humor and stupidity and thought. It no sooner eliminates the supremacy of categories then it tears away the ground of his indifference and disintegrates the gloomy dumb show of stupidity. Now, what does that mean? He says basically that LSD induced swarming hallucinations help us realize that our scientific categories and notions are just figments of our imagination. And so we're wrong in designating someone as stupid or intelligent because there's no such thing as right or wrong, truth or false, true or false. All we have is an a categorical uh, ac- a categorical mass. Um, and there you have it. I mean, this is not only extremely stupid, but it's also very, very reactionary because it, it actually romanticizes drug abuse, which is something they do all the time. Romanticize, uh, you know, the most reactionary and barbaric uh, parts of society. Now. As Marxists, we don't deny the existence of subjectivity. Every human being has their own background and and a limited point of view. However, we also understand that there is an objective reality, one objective reality, which exists independently of our subjective point of view. And we're just a small part of this uh, this objective reality. But, But via our activities, we're able to investigate and understand this world that we live in. And the whole history of humanity, in fact, is in essence the history of our increased understanding of of, of, uh, this objective reality and our mastery over um, nature. Now, the the postmodernists, as I said in the beginning, uh, they they base themselves on this rejection of meta meta narratives, i.e., rejection of a comprehensive. Worldview. Well, when they say this, they they oppose this exact idea that I just explained. According to them, it's, one, it's a dogmatic thing to just abide by one philosophy. Instead, what we have to do is pick and choose from all sorts of ideas. I mean, this is this is quite trendy in academia today. If if you're if you're a student at university, you're often told, you know, um, you pick a method and you, you particular you analyze a particular case. As if any method and any theory is equally through, you just say, you know, oh, we're gonna go with a little bit of discourse theory here, and maybe I'll take a little bit of, <laughs> of some, something else there. Um, so this is, this is the basic uh, uh, fun- fundamental principle of, of, of postmodernism. Uh, but the point is that they're not telling us to pick the best and most true ideas. The point is that they're telling us to choose deliberately incoherent ideas. <laughs> and of course, it makes sense, because if you accept that reality is subjective, then there's no single method of philosophy which can, which can explain reality. Uh, um, sorry. For instance, queer theory tells us that we can, oh, sorry, and if you accept that, you also have to accept that we can also form and change our own reality ourselves as individuals. So queer theory, for instance, tells us that we can basically wish away biological gender. Post-colonialism tells us that in different nations, different parts of the world, there are different realities. We We can't assume that it's the same reality which exists for the advanced capitalist countries and the uh, ex-colonial countries, and so on and and so forth. And of course, the main target of all of these ideas is Marxism, because it is the most comprehensive, unified, and holistic worldview out there. They try to paint Marxism as some kind of dogmatism. But in reality, Marxism, by definition, is incompatible with all forms of dogmatism. You know, in, in in reality, they are the ones as a postmodernists who makes make the most dogmatic, sweeping generalizations and reject scientific thought. Whereas Marxism is based as as a matter of fact on a synthesis of all the previous schools of thought. This is what we discussed again in the previous session. That Marxism is not we, we don't think that thinking or philosophy started with us, we place ourselves at the end of a long way of development of the of, of thinking of human beings. Um, we base ourselves on the best elements of different schools of thought, which in one way or another have advanced humanity's understanding of the laws of society a, a, and nature. And the fact that these ideas in Marxism can come together as a harmonic uh, holistic worldview is only a reflection that they serve to, under, uh, to raise our understanding of the works of, of this one single world, of nature, of objective reality, which is lawful and, and interconnected. Of course, our ideas, human ideas, are not absolute. They are generalizations, abstractions, you may, of, of phenomena that we meet in the, the real world. But again, according to the postmodernist abstraction or generalizations, as such, are oppressive by their very nature. But if that's not in itself the crudest form of generalization, I don't know know what is. But the fact is that whether you like it or not, generalization is a main characteristic of all human thought. You know, Hegel once said uh, that you can never describe what you see immediately in front of you. In other words, every word that you use to describe something is just a a general concept, is a generalization in itself. When we think about the word human, we don't think about any particular human being. Uh, Our understanding is not based on this particular human being, but on on all the individual human beings which we have interacted with and experienced during our lifetime. And more importantly, on the basis of of the experience passed down uh, to us by, by former generations of having interacted with, uh, with other human beings. And therefore, when we meet a human being in the real world, we expect them to interact with us and act in a, in a certain way. And of course, again, with, with each interaction and with each advance in human humanity's knowledge of human beings, our knowledge also becomes deeper and truer in a sense. The real question is not whether we can or cannot generalize. The real question is, To what extent do our generalizations correspond with the real objects that we are referring to? The postmodernists, they they object and say, obviously, they say that nothing corresponds to our general uh, concepts. In other words, uh, there's no such thing as what they call identity. And by identity, what we mean is the characteristics which separate different forms of things. So, for instance, what makes a human a human? or a flower, a flower, aside from all the, the the accidental elements which are part of any given individual human being or, or flower, what makes it that particular thing? That's what we in philosophy call identity. But Foucault, he says that identity, again, sorry about all these difficult quotes, but I, I feel like if I don't quote, then we just appear like charlatans just assuming things. So I will translate this. It says, identity is in itself only a parody It is plural. Countless spirits dispute its possession. Numerous systems intersect and compete. So what it says basically is that nothing is composed of one thing, but of many things. So there's no such thing as identity, but only difference, infinite difference. And the postmodernists are completely obsessed with this idea of difference. But Once we take a closer look at this again, we see that this is a completely incoherent idea. If something is composed of different things, then surely that implies that those different things have a separate identity themselves. If you talk about reality uh, just being one mass of of different things without any inner differentiation, i.e. without any uh, separate identities, then you're basically saying that, I, that reality is just one big undifferentiated lump, one gigantic identity. I mean, these ideas, they, they, you know, this is just something that takes you 10 minutes to think about and you or, or even less, probably 10 minutes because I'm a bit thick. But no more people looking at this could realize this very quickly. But these people, they, they, without blinking, they put it forward as like the latest in, in, in scientific thought. In reality, we can only talk of different things if we accept that they have separate identities. But at the same time, it's true, you cannot talk about any individual identity without it being composed of different things. Let's, let's just take human beings. 57% are, of human, uh, the cells in a human body are actually bacterial cells. They have no human DNA, DNA within them. Would that mean that uh, we cannot speak of humanity as a species? Or even, even if we take one individual uh, human being throughout his or her lifetime, let's take Foucault. Throughout Foucault's lifetime, all the cells of his, of his body would have died and been replaced approximately every seven years. And at the same time, his personality and thoughts, we assume, would have been enriched by, 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 you know, by, by, by through life experience. Does that mean that that individual ceases to exist every few years? Or when he goes from child to adult? I don't think so. Uh, uh, But at the same time, we can't say that it's the same person either. It is the same individual on a qualitatively higher uh, level. In fact, at all times, everything is itself and something else. Uh, Identity and difference are not two separate categories. They interpenetrate one another. And this contradiction lies at the heart of all existence and is a driving force of all development and, and, and change. Now, the postmodernists think that our method is very simplistic, uh, simple-minded, but in reality, they are the ones who are extremely simple, simplistic and, and one-sided. What they cannot understand is that opposites not only exist, but they coexist and interpenetrate each other at all levels of nature. That is the basis of all natural laws. Everything is propelled, every all development and existence propelled by the, the it's own uh, inner contradictions. Uh, and and that, base, that is the essence of lawfulness, all the laws of nature and society. But according to po- postmodernists, there's no such thing as lawfulness or, or what we call in, in philosophy necessity. There's no necessity. There's only accidents uh, in society and nature. Everything is basically arbitrary and accidental. Foucault says about history, that it's just the iron hand of necessity shaking the dice box of chance. Wow, that sounds so profound. We just have to... (laughs) So dramatic, you you might say. Uh, And if we realize this, if we just realize that everything is accidental, then we can achieve freedom. But the point is this, how can anyone live their lives and attain anything they wish if they could not count on lawfulness? If we can't count on gravity, causality, or in society, you know, uh, society is also governed by, by by laws. How could how could these people write books, and assume at least it would have some sort of desired effect, unless they had some idea of how it could be received? Yes, it's true that the world is full of accidents, which cannot be predicted exactly, but underlying all these accidents, and interpenetrating accidents, in fact. Uh, uh, we find general laws operating at all levels of nature and society. Laws which express themselves through through these accidents. And true freedom, as Hegel said, is the recognition, the, the understanding of these laws. The better we understand the laws governing nature and society, the more successful we will be in achieving our aims and, and aspirations. Of course, um, when, when you know, again, one of the contradictions of postmodern is that. When they reject lawfulness they say, oh, there's no such thing as lawfulness, that is also a way in itself to deduce a certain lawfulness. It's a generalization in itself. The only difference between our forms of generalization and their form of generalization is that theirs are extremely poor. In, in, in the end, the postmodernist type of generalization is, amounts to arbitrary cl- classifications. You know, You say, oh, all things to the left. Right. This, this is just completely random. These things have nothing, no inner, inner connection with, with each other. But dialectical materialism, on the other hand, does not we don't limit ourselves to uh, the immediate and accidental determination of things or random determination of things. But what we try to find when we when we try to find general concepts is that we try to define and, and look for the underlying contradictions, the, in, the fundamental principles. With lie, which lie behind the development and life cycle of, of different things. That means that our generalizations, our form of generalizations, are far richer than, than the crude and dead concepts of uh, that, that postmodernism comes up with all the time. Now, you see, what we have here is not just innocent mistakes. You might think, oh, this is just abstract academic stuff. But... What the postmodernists are fundamentally saying is that they are opposed, they are vehement, their main enemy is science and systematic thought itself. Foucault, in fact, says, he says, knowledge is not made for understanding, it's made for cutting, i.e. knowledge is oppressive by its very nature, is not a good thing, is a bad thing. (laughs) And this is an extremely reactionary idea for us as Marxists, The history of humanity is is a history of increased understanding, as I said before, and and mastery over nature. But according to Foucault, there's no general direction in this development, in the development of society, science, philosophy. There's no such thing as lower or higher levels, but only what he calls the endless repeated play of dominations and the domination of certain men over others. So history is just aimless and arbitrary and not progressive in, in character. But he goes even further and I'm going to read a long text. I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, translate it for all of you afterwards. But but I think it's important to say it. it says the idea that interpretation precedes the sign and by sign Foucault just means scientific concepts. So the idea that interpretation precedes the sign implies that the sign is not a simple and benevolent being as was still the case in the 16th century with the plethora of signs uh, the fact that things resembled each other simply proved the benevolence of God. On the contrary, beginning with the 19th century, beginning with Freud, Marx, and Nietzsche, and uh, this is kind of random why he lumps these together, that was the the topic of his essay. It seems to me that the sign becomes malevolent. I mean that there is in the sign an ambiguous and somewhat suspicious form of ill will and malice. So translated, he says that philosophy conceptual thought played a benevolent that a good role in feudal Europe as long as it would was used to simply prove the goodness of God, the benevolence of God. Later on, however, as science advances, uh, we, we must assume, it becomes malevolent, it becomes evil. Uh, and throughout the works of Foucault and many other postmodernists, what you see is an obsession with undermining, the achievements of, of the enlightenment and the, and the achievements of the progressive sides of the bourgeois uh, revolution. When Foucault writes, he writes, he's written a lot about uh, the history of psychiatry, the history of the medical sciences and sexuality. And in all of these things, he really bends backwards, trying to find examples. And sometimes he just makes up examples actually, which undermine the advances of science in, in, in those fields and the advances that we, de- we normally designate to the bourgeois revolution and the science of, of that time. It's true that capitalism did not bring about like, any sort of paradise on earth. Marx said that if money comes to the world with a congenital blood stain on one cheek, capital comes dripping from head to toe from every pore with blood and dirt." That's, that's the Marxist view of, 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 of the rise of capitalism. But the point is that the postmodernists do not criticize any of the truly barbaric sides of capitalism. What they criticize is the progressive and revolutionary role played by the bourgeois revolution in its struggle against the church and feudal reaction, in developing materialism, and science and technology in modernizing society. Uh, you know, um, Immanuel Kant, you know, once wrote that the slogan of the Enlightenment was Dare to Think. You can say what you want about Kant, but he stood head and shoulders above the postmodernists. Back then it was the age of reason. You had to dare to think and question the, the established order as opposed to the uh, you know, opposed to the dark age of, of superstition of, of the Middle Ages. But what the what the postmodernists criticize is reason itself is precisely the strong points of the uh, and progressive sides of of the bourgeois revolution and in doing this they put themselves at every turn of events on the same on the side of feudal reaction against the bourgeois uh, revolution and in fact in essence this is this is what the what postmodernism in my opinion boils down to they not only reject progress, but they fetishize barbarism. They fetishize bar- backwardness in, in, in reality. This is a completely and thoroughly reactionary ideology. They, in, its, in its practical co- uh, consequences today, they reject the class struggle because it's supposedly a way of generalizing things, and it is a meta-narrative, i.e. It's something that applies to the whole world, Uh, At all of society. And instead, what they promote is a microanalysis and subjective individual struggles, such as the ones that we see, you know, in in queer theory, intersectionality, all sorts of identity politics. It's all the individual struggle, the atomization of the struggle and and the opposition to a united collective uh, class struggle. That's the point. It's not that they are passive, I say, oh, well, we can do this. No, they oppose the united struggle. They oppose the class struggle. Um, they also reject materialism because it's a scientific philosophy, uh, because it's based on the proposition that the objective world exists independently of, of human beings. And, um, and because we as Marxists and materialists, we, we, we claim that it's possible to discover the underlying laws of this world. And also, finally, they absolutely reject socialism because it implies that such a thing as progress exists. In fact, they would tell you that if you believe in progress, if you fight for socialism, you're oppressing uh, the, the society. You're pulling down your own generalization over the heads of, uh, of, of, uh, of other people. Now, they also claim to criticize liberalism. But in fact, if you can see all of these things, this sentimentalism, moralism, individualism, this is all just the most degenerated and rotten form of liberalism itself. It's the, the, the only true enemy that, that postmodernism has, and this permeates all of their texts, is Marxism and the, and, and the working class uh, struggle. And the ruling class is very, very aware of this. You know, there's, a, there's a, very interesting, uh, a very interesting CIA report from 1985. This is just about the time where postmodernism was beginning to kind of reach the top of academia. It was declassified in 2011. I actually forgot the title here. I can post it in, in, in the chat. But the author of this, uh, I actually, I think everyone should read this because there's a lot of interesting things there. But the author of this uh, report applauds people like uh, Foucault, and and Claude Levi-Strauss, because he says that they performed a critical demolition of Marxist influence in the social sciences. sciences. And there's a lot of stuff where he goes on to explain how they basically took over academia on the basis of a decline of the class struggle and a defeat of the working class and and youth movement of 1968 and, and so on. It's very interesting, but I don't have time to go into this. But the fact is, that the ruling class is aware of the role that postmodernism can play. That was in 85. Today, postmodernism is becoming an increasingly important weapon for the ruling class in order to divert young people away who are being radicalized under the impact of crisis of capitalism, away from a revolutionary struggle, and down safe uh, channels. And what it really reveals, (laughs) at the same time, is the complete decay of capitalism and bourgeois philosophy. It's not true, as Alan said before, it's not true that progress is not possible. Progress is not possible under capitalism. In fact, and this is the the important point, that all real progress under capitalism, all steps forward for science, all real achievements, serve only to show the limitations of this system. The more mass production advances, the more science advances, the whole idea of private ownership of the means of production comes under question. And undeniably, every step forward, every real step forward in science and technology, ideas, and so on, raises the, 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 the idea of the need for, for, for socialism. In other words, the productive forces what we are seeing in in this discussion is the productive forces coming into conflict with the existing relations of of production. That I think is the the material basis for the idealist degeneration of of, of bourgeois uh, philosophy and uh, the rise of of postmodernism. As we heard as well before, capitalism came to the world fighting against everything that was rotten in, in, in feudal society. The bourgeois revolution, based itself on the most advanced ideas, and materialism in in, in particular, it based itself on truth as a means to strike blows against the the, the superstition and and obscurantism of the the, uh, church. Now, that was a huge step forward for humanity, but today, capitalism has become ossified, it's become reactionary, it's become conservative. And in order to justify its own rule, it is deeply dependent on distorting the truth. That is the role of postmodernism, to cover up the reactionary ideas of the bourgeoisie, to wrap them in a radical sounding rhetoric and feed them to the workers and to the youth in order to rally them behind behind the system. Now, Marxism on the other hand, as the philosophy of of, of the revolutionary class can only base itself on truth, on objective truth. You know, Lenin once said that Marxism is almighty because it's true. As people think, that sounds like a, a little bit of a <laughs> uh, religious uh, thing to say. But what it means is that our ideas are based on the accumulated experience of humanity, and we reject this idea, this postmodernist idea, that we can superimpose our ideas onto the material reality. But by understanding the laws that govern objective reality, the, the laws of nature and society, we can achieve our aims and aspirations. That's the essence of dialectical materialism. And just like the bourgeois revolution could never have succeeded without a philosophical struggle, the socialist revolution cannot be successful without a determined struggle for dialectical materialism against all of these reactionary philosophies of the capitalist class today. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.